The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Publishing Today Radio, where aspiring authors, thought leaders, business owners, and others with a story to tell discover resources, helpful tips, and sage advice. Join Athena Dean Holtz, publishing industry expert, author, speaker, and independent publishing pioneer as she brings to the forefront experts who provide the information you need to succeed. And now, here's Athena. Well, welcome to our fourth episode of Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and our topic for today's show is the power of words. Words have the power to attract or repel, to draw a reader in or cause them to lose interest. They have the ability to heal or to wound. They are the power of life and death. The importance of words and the way in which they're crafted can fan the flame of a growing writing ministry or completely extinguish it. So today we're discussing the power of words and why every author needs an editor, not just someone who calls themselves an editor, but a professional editor who knows the rules and has had successful experience. Join me as I interview three women whose lives revolve around the written word and shine with excellence. Listen in and discover the power of words and why you need a professional editor by your side. I am so excited to have three of the most gifted editors and coaches that I know. But before I introduce them to you, let me tell you a little bit about each one of my guests. In fact, while I'm doing this, call or text a friend and have them tune in on voiceamerica.com. Once they're at the site, all they have to do is type publishing today into the search bar and they'll be able to listen live. So here's the lineup for today's episode of Publishing Today. During the first segment, I'll have Jeanette Wendell on the line to share her thoughts on the power of words. As daughter of missionary parents, award-winning author and journalist Jeanette Wendell grew up in the rural villages, jungles, and mountains of Colombia, now guerrilla hot zones. Her detailed research and writing is so realistic that it has prompted government agencies to question her to determine if she has received classified information. Currently based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Jeanette has lived in six countries and traveled in more than 30 on five continents. Those experiences have birthed 16 fiction titles, including best-selling Veiled Freedom, which won the 2010 ECPA Christian Book Award and was a Christie Award finalist, Freedom Stand, which also was a 2012 ECPA Christian Book Award and Carol Award finalist, and Congo Dawn, which received the 2013 Golden Scroll Novel of the Year, as well as two nonfiction collaborative titles, Hope Underground, The Chilean Mine Rescue, and Forgiven, The Amish Schoolhouse Shooting, A Mother's Love, and A Story of Remarkable Grace by Bethany House coming out fall of 2015. 
Jeanette mentors developing nation writers in both English and Spanish on all five continents. Then during the second segment, we'll be discussing the power of words with Inger Lodulin, my personal writing coach and editor. She has worked as a freelance editor and writer on projects with me for over 20 years when she first met my need for an editor and coach back in 1994. She's the co-author of Triumphant Faith. She was Wine Press's first editor and is a former staff writer for the Sentinel Group and Creative Resources, Inc. She has years of experience in cross-cultural missions, all facets of editing, writing, and coaching, including press releases, advertising copy, and ghostwriting. She currently serves as the senior editor with Redemption Press, where she continues her long-standing professional and personal relationship with the publisher. Yes, that would be me. Inger lives on an island in the Puget Sound with her husband of 50 years and two long-haired dachshunds, and she blogs at gracetogray.wordpress.com. Then for the final segment of today's show, I'll have author and editor Julie Carabini. She is the award-winning author of the Chocolate Series, as well as Otter Bay Novels, Sweet Waters, A Shore Thing, and Fade to Blue. She's run Whiting Awards from the National League of American Pen Women and an editing award from ACFW, which is, for those of you who don't know the acronym, American Christian Fiction Writers, ACFW. Uh, RT Book Reviews says Carabini has a talent for creating characters that come alive. Julie lives with her family in California and loves all things coastal except for sharks. So this is going to be an incredible show filled with insight and wisdom from some of the best in the Christian publishing world. And just so you know what to expect, during the last five minutes of the show, we'll have a segment called Ask Athena, where I'll be answering your questions on writing, publishing, and book marketing, branding, and promotion. So if you have a question you'd like me to answer, send me an email at question at askathena.com and I will get it into the lineup for a future show. So before I bring each of my guests into the conversation, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Publishing Today. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we're broadcasting on voiceamerica.com, the world leader in online media broadcasting and the largest producer and distributor of live internet-based talk radio. You can connect with me on the web at publishingtodayradio.com, Facebook at Publishing Today Radio. My Twitter handle is Athena underscore on the air. If you're listening live on the Voice America Variety Channel online at voiceamerica.com, I would love to have you download the, the uh, app so that you can have it on your smartphone and listen in real time, even if you're on the go. But now it is time to get this show on the road. Jeanette Wendell, welcome to Publishing Today. It's a delight to be with you. Yeah, we have spent some great time over the years teaching on faculty at the Florida Christian Writers Conference, and you've done some wonderful work with some of our authors over the years. You're an expert when it comes to fiction, so that's kind of the genre I'm going to zero in on my questions with you for. But first, let's just, as an overarching uh, foundation, why is editing so important? A good edit is actually the biggest difference between a book that reads professionally published and one that screams amateur. Even the most well-published, award-winning authors, and certainly myself, I go through numerous stages of editing with our own project and copy editors. So how much more a new author? 
Unfortunately, a professional edit is often the one place where self-published authors choose to save money. The result too often is a substandard final product so that the savings actually end up proving counterproductive when you then have to later market that book. Exactly. Now, uh, do you find that uh, um, writers and authors come to you and say, well, I've got, uh, it's already been edited, and then when you take a look at it, you find out it really wasn't to the level it should have been? There's a simple answer to that, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, and, uh, you know, anybody, I guess, can hang out a shingle and say, I'm an editor, but really uh, not be qualified. Do you find yeah. in, in working with authors and working with first-time authors especially that um, they don't really understand the importance of an edit? Or is that, uh, how do you find that coming across? I think part of it is not understanding the importance and part of it is simply that when I have my book edited, my publisher pays for it. I understand completely how difficult it can be sometimes economically for those who are publishing themselves to look at the cost of getting a professional edit. Unfortunately, that professional edit is what's going to make a book that's worth professionally marketing. Absolutely. So how about describing just... Uh, assuming uh, some of our listeners don't have any idea of the different kinds of editing that exist, um, would you describe the different types of editing and the type of writer who would need each one? Yes. I personally deal as editor with three basic types of editing. And in actuality, depending on the stage of a manuscript, I would say that any writer, whether fiction or nonfiction, any genre, may need any of these types or may need all three. And the first one is substantive editing. A substantive edit, which is what I personally always recommend to begin with, does not actually touch the manuscript itself. It's actually an initial read-through of the entire manuscript, offering line-by-line commentary. For example, in fiction, this would include pointing out plot holes, character and event inconsistencies, problems with setting and story structure, theme development, etc. For a nonfiction manuscript, this would include evaluating the readability, organization of material, the prose quality, reader takeaway, and much more. Uh, when I do a substantive edit, I follow the line-by-line commentary with a separate detailed analysis of the project as a whole, strengths, weaknesses, marketability, and what remains necessary to bring that manuscript to a publishable stage. Now, typically, a substantive edit, which should be the first for anybody wanting to publish a book, sends the manuscript back to the author to address issues, whether with their fiction plot, whether with their nonfiction material. Once addressed, an author may want to return to the editor for a second substantive edit uh, to see how the manuscript has developed or move simply to a copy edit. With nonfiction especially, I often find that the author may not want to wrestle with every sentence getting it perfect, but just turn it over to a good editor to give the book's content a professional polish and organization. So what is a copy editing? The copy edit does touch the manuscript itself, and it includes correction of grammar, tightening and smoothing prose, necessary organization of material, 
a general polishing to produce a print-ready manuscript that still maintains the author's own voice and writing style. That is probably what most authors are wanting at the end of an editing process. When I do a copy edit, I actually throw in a pro bono, the final stage of editing as well, and that's proofreading. But there are authors, whether fiction or nonfiction, who feel their manuscript is close to print ready, and all they want to contract is a proofreading edit alone. And a proofreading edit is simply a read-through of the final manuscript for typos, misspelling, grammar error, errors, without any alterations of the author content, phrasing, and formatting. I will throw in here one other broader type of editing that I like to offer, and that's of project mentoring. Uh, many writers, especially if they're working on their first manuscript, like to have an editor with whom they can do the back and forth of personal mentoring rather than a simple substantive edit. And typically when I work with these type of clients, the process is a combination of brainstorming together, rewrites, e-conferences, phone mentoring, until the book is judged by both myself and the client to be ready for submission or for publication. And I love that last piece. Now, tell me what you call that again. Project mentoring. Project mentoring. Okay, because we at Redemption Press, we call that coaching. And really, uh, just the whole idea of having a professional work with you to figure out how to make it better and how to rewrite it and, and really have a lot of going back and forth that really gives the the author an opportunity to grow and see where their weaknesses are and see how to improve them, that is just invaluable. And I love, I love that that's one of the things that you do. And that's, that's why I've always liked your work because you have that heart to help an author learn and get better. That's actually my favorite type of editing personally. Yeah. Well, now, in case you've just joined us, you're listening to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we're broadcasting on the Voice America Network. We are talking today about the power of words and why every author needs a professional editor. So, Jeanette, for fiction manuscripts, what area do you find needs the most help with a first-time author? there are three specific mistakes that are so universal to virtually every manuscript I receive that if all three are missing, I actually recommend them that their book is a strong candidate for publishing. So let me share those particular three mistakes in brief. And the first one is exposition. Exposition is the setting of story and the POV character, that point of view, in time and space. And the two rookie extremes to first-time novelists are either to offer an information dump, driving away potential readers from sheer boredom, or not to give enough information so that the readers can quickly place themselves in the time, place, and mind of their point of view character. The latter, unfortunately, is the most common mistake under the guise always of rousing suspense by keeping key details from the reader. Unfortunately, it doesn't rouse suspense. It simply leads to frustration because the reader spends their time and energy trying to figure out where and who they are rather than enjoying the story. I read manuscripts where details are so vague I can't tell what country or century I'm in, much less exactly who the main character is and why he's in this particular time and place. So 
what's the solution? How does a writer find a balance between maintaining suspense and filling in the reader? It's actually quite simple because the reader, in essence, becomes the point of view protagonist. So what isn't a secret to the point of view protagonist should not be kept a secret to the reader. On the flip side, what the protagonist doesn't know should be the mystery and quest that the reader and the protagonist will figure out together. Without an entire information dump, you want your reader filled in as quickly as possible on the who, what, when, why, how that the POV character knows so they can sit back and enjoy the story instead of trying to figure out what's going on. Mm. Now, related to that are the next two points, and the first is what we call flashback detail. Now, flashback detail, which I run constant remarks on manuscripts, are references made to people, setting, and happening after the fact as though the reader already knows them instead of introducing the same details to the reader as part of the real-time forward action of the story. If that sounds difficult, here's an actual example from the first line of a manuscript I received. As the blue-tailed rooster chased the three hens across the courtyard again, she directed a kick that did not alleviate her frustration. The problem is the story has never mentioned roosters or a courtyard. If you were doing that in real time, you might say your character stepped out into the castle's courtyard as a blue rooster chased three hens into her skirt so that she almost tripped. She directed a kick that did not alleviate her frustration. Anytime you can give a detail in real time rather than referencing it as though the author no- or as though the reader knows, you're improving the story. The second there is scattering the details randomly uh, along the way rather than when they enter the story. And here's another example that came my way. Mom shouts, Kyle, Brandon, stop something on the bed. No mention is made whether Kyle, Brandon are male, female, ethnicity, age. A whole page later shows Kyle giving an annoyed glance at her sister as Brandon dashes by. Okay, so she's female and they're siblings. No age given. Another page later, Kyle grimaces at Brandon, her twin sister's messy blonde hair and freckled face as usual looking like looking in the mirror. So now we know that they're female and twins. I mark these by the dozen in the typical first-time novel. Why is it a problem? Because the reader is constantly creating an image in their mind. And if they have to stop and change their initial image because a new detail, like being a girl versus a boy or having blonde hair, is thrown in, the reader has to pull themselves out of the story, go back and reread, and match the story to the new image. So, okay, now, now, Jeanette, I, we, I just got the one minute countdown so let's wrap up the the biggest mistake real quickly and then and then we're going to have to like move on go ahead okay yeah i was going to say and then we'll leave it with those two general rule every time a setting or character details mentioned always present it in real time not in flashback okay okay so what would you say very quickly is your number one tip for an author who wants to make the most of their coaching or editing experience? Don't take it personally. Uh, it can be yep. painful enough to submit a few pages of one's perfect prose to a peer critique group. It's far more so when you're looking at what seems the criticism and nitpicking of a substantive edit. I have to say, 
I've grown a thick skin and learned to appreciate having any possible flaws pointed out before the book reaches readers instead of after. So as an author, recognize that the editor's Editor's feedback is meant to polish the book so it reaches readers the best it can be. And never, never, never take it personal. Never take it personal. That's a good one. Jeanette, thank you so much for being with me today. And where can people find you if they want to find you online? www.jeanettewindle.com J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E-W-I-N-D-L-E JeanetteWindle.com. Thank you so much for being with me today. It was a pleasure. Goodbye. All right. And we'll be right back to publishing today. Hi, this is Shannon Etheridge, relationship coach, speaker, and author of over 20 books, including the million copy bestselling Every Woman's Battle series. It was over 15 years ago that I was struggling to navigate through this publishing world and Athena Dean was one of the first people that I encountered in this industry. Now we've stayed in touch ever since then because she was such an encourager then and she's still an encouragement to me today. What a mover and a shaker for God's kingdom and I have no doubt that Redemption Press is living up to its name. Has anyone ever told you you should write a book? Athena Dean Holtz here, and I've been involved in the publishing industry as an author, blogger, coach, and publisher for over 25 years. One thing I've found is everyone has a story. It just takes the right team to help get it onto paper and then into a book that has the potential to touch lives. Give us a call today. The toll-free number is 844-2-REDEEM. That's 844-273-3336. Like us on Facebook or visit our site at authorsincharge.com. We would love to walk with you through your publishing journey. Well, welcome back to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry, broadcasting on the Voice America Network. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we are continuing on with our show about the power of words. So we are, um, I'm just going to welcome my very longtime friend, Inger Lodgelin, who has been my coach and editor for years and years and years. And uh, we go so far back, it's almost, I mean, it's almost surreal, Inger, to have you on the <laughs> show today. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite a collaboration. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. And we're talking about the power of words. And I know you as someone who loves to tinker with words and make them sing. And you have been a great help to me personally as you coached me through my own rewrite on my first book. So, Inger, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You betcha. And what, um, because I want to kind of have our focus with you be on nonfiction. Jeanette mm-hmm. talked mostly on fiction. I'm going to have you talk more on nonfiction. Um, first, let's um, just answer the question, what's the difference between coaching and editing? Well, to me, coaching is being a collaborator with the writer. I'm, like, I'm the writer's greatest ally. I want the writers to succeed. So when we work together, it was a partnership. And it it's for the lifetime of that writer's writing. It's not just for a project. You're, you're uh, building into them 
techniques that they'll use for the rest of their writing life. So coaching is, is a big deal. So um, I felt like it was one of those, I, I am so close to the forest, I can't see the trees. Yeah. You know, when I'm in the middle <laughs> Always. of the script. And you were able to come in and go, well, look at that paragraph right there. That doesn't really fit. Or this one, you know, you need some dialogue here. Or you were able to just bring that uh, refreshing perspective that I could not see for the life of me. And it really helped me. Now, when you're just editing someone's work, what's the difference between you just editing it and you actually coaching them? Actually, it overlaps. It's kind of a secret, but it overlaps. If there's a relationship with the writer, with the author, and the editor, some of that coaching creeps in. It just can't help but creep in because questions go back and forth and suggestions go and and, uh, statements like, have you thought about doing this? (laughs) Have you thought about moving the end of that chapter or adding a personal experience here? It just, coaching seems to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you know as an as an aspiring author, which is the best route for you to just give your manuscript to an editor and say, here, fix it or actually having you coach them through fixing it? Well, if you're if you're having trouble with your your first time through in in your book and you're trying to figure out what to do like the very first run through that's the time for coaching because then you can set it up and and get a firm foundation under it and um you don't have to go back and fix the mistakes and you can mentor the person all the way through so to me that's the best time at the very beginning Okay. Okay. Yeah. So when I did my first book and you helped me on that, I had already written the whole darn thing uh, <laughs> with no help at all, just like a brain dump. And I'm telling you across the table what happened to me. And so you actually had to come and say, okay, let's take a new look at this and reconstruct the whole thing. So exactly. I, so ideally... <laughs> You want to do that before you ever write it, so yes, it's or, not... Or, yeah, after that first, after it's down on paper in a rough form, but you, the author's not satisfied with it and knows he needs help at the very beginning, that's a good time to bring in a coach. Okay, okay. Well, and I remember, uh, you know, I thought so, it was just so important to be chronological and, you know, to start at the beginning and then go, you know... <laughs> everything in order. And, and when I got done with you, you had taken this very dramatic scene and that was the opening of the book. And then we flashed back on earlier things that led up to that. And I, you know, I had no idea that would have been the way to just grab the reader, even though it was nonfiction, it grabbed them as if it were a novel and didn't let them go. And I, I never would have thought of that on my own. Yeah, that that's a pretty common way to do it, and there's lots of ways to lead into a book. But if you have a dramatic story, start with some action. Try to get hook the reader. That, that's the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so in case you've just joined us, you're listening to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we are broadcasting on Voice America Network, and I'm talking to Inger Lodgelin, who is a writing coach and senior editor at Redemption Press. Now, let me ask you this. When a, 
if there is ever a when, is a writer ready to do self-editing? Oh, boy. It's really hard for anybody to self-edit because you don't see. It's like the forest and the trees analogy. You don't see. You're so used to what you have written. You don't see the mistakes. You don't see the gaps. Um, I was working on something um, just the last few days where um, an important element of weather that was crucial to the story was never introduced until it actually happened. And you're going, what, what, when did that happen? And uh, that the author just didn't see it. So it's important. So then what you're telling me is never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I know, I mean, I know when I will like take uh, something that I've written, if it's a blog post or whatever, and I will just read it out loud. Yeah. That, uh-huh. that does help me <clears throat> self edit to a degree just because if I trip over words and it doesn't flow, then that tells me I need to rework it some. Yes. I mean, everybody needs to self-edit a little bit, but you know that it doesn't take the place of a good editor looking at it later. Exactly. And not your mom and not your sister (laughs) or your best friend, right? Right. Well, because they don't have the expertise and they don't want to hurt your feelings. They really don't. And they also think, wow, you wrote a book. That's no, I couldn't do that. (laughs) So it must be good. And. What I always what I always tell authors is, you know, if you have your spouse edit your book, they are not going to notice the holes. They're not going to notice the transition problems because they know your story. And if there's a hole, they're going to just fill it in in their brain as they're reading it because they know the backstory. Exactly. So they, they won't even notice that there's a problem because they know you too well and they know the story too well. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let me ask you this. When... When you edit nonfiction work, where uh-huh. do you see the biggest challenges in bringing the manuscript to a level of excellence? Oh, boy. This is a huge subject because I tend to get, um, well, we work in Christian nonfiction, and um, many, many works uh, will be quoting other authors, other works, and uh, m- many authors, when when they're not paying attention to who wrote this, when they wrote it, and they don't have all the information that they need to do. And sometimes they need end notes or footnotes, and they haven't thought about it. And then I say, uh, like, who said this? And where did you get this from? And and, uh, and then I say, you can't quote quite that much uh, without permission. So there are sticky wickets <laughs> that you have to watch out for, and that's that's mostly what I see. You know, of course, there's there's you know consistency and punctuation and and uh, errors and grammar and and all that. But you can fix that. But it's a problem when when you have to do attribution and you don't have it written down. So that's a key thing for authors. So when so when a, a, a new writer is working on a manuscript and they quote anything from anywhere, they need to keep notes on where they found it, what page number, what the name of the book was, where the article was, if it was online, the URL, all of that information they need to keep document as they go through 
writing the book. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Document your sources and uh, be aware of of the fair use clause of the copyright law. It's it's pretty complicated, but there there are uh, fair use parameters that are generally accepted, and and um, they're not very many words that you can quote from people without getting their permission. And um, I ran into a to a, an, an, an edit that I was working on, and it was pages and pages of of work from somebody else's book, and, and the author never thought that he would have to get permission. So this is, this is really crucial. It's a lot of nitty-gritty. Yeah. In fact, I just... Uh saw someone sent me a copy of their self-published book that they had published through another Christian self-publisher, and there were full poems, famous Ah. poems, that I knew were not public domain, and Uh (laughs) they, they were never told they needed to get permission. They had no clue that they couldn't just quote it. Right. uh, Yeah. So like that, not even one line. You can't even quote one line of a poem without permission. Right. So that's crucial. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so quotes, punctuation, um, properly citing and, and you know, getting permission when necessary. Then now what about as far as nonfiction goes? I, I can't imagine that you don't see a lot of um, kind of telling instead of showing and not using fiction techniques? Is that kind of a common thing? Yes. We see a lot of passive voice. And I I think people think that it sounds more learned somehow. But (laughs) unless you're writing a scientific treatise, just use the active voice. And if you don't know what that is, like the difference is uh, passive would be the girl was was bitten by the dog. Now, just change it to to be active, and it'll say, the dog bit the girl. What could be simpler? But we think that it sounds better, more more authorly to say it the hard way. So that's that's a big one. (laughs) Another one that I see all the time is is that, T-H-A-T. It shows up everywhere, that. (laughs) And if you can learn to eliminate that, the the copy is a whole lot cleaner. So you could actually, an, uh, an author could take their manuscript and they could do a search for the word that and probably nine times out of ten could get rid of the word that and it would read much better. Exactly. Sometimes it's needed, so each instance would have to be looked at. You can't but, just um, do a find and replace all, because replace all, then you'd be in trouble, right? Yeah, you'd be in trouble. <laughs> and we see all kinds of things like uh, uh, dangling modifiers and redundancies and, and, oh, the attribution. He said, she said. But authors want to say he said smilingly or something horrible like that. And if you just said he said, or better yet, not anything, just make the sentence obvious as to who is talking, the book will be way better. So then what you're saying there as well is having dialogue is a, a, a very important part of a nonfiction manuscript, but having it, uh, but doing it well and not being redundant. Is that what you're sure. saying? Sure. 
Yeah, yes, we use fiction techniques in nonfiction, and um, but you just don't throw all those modifiers in on the attribution. So um, you know, there's all all kinds of places where uh, first-time authors get hung up and and like using too many commas. I call them comma queens, and and um, then there's people who like to write with semicolons and and uh, people that are in love with ellipses and because it's like trailing thought and there's ellipses everywhere <laughs> or I resemble that remark <laughs> <laughs> well if i get a hold of it it won't be that way <laughs> and and what about like the uh exclamation marks or exclamation question mark exclamation mark <laughs> underline bold Tell tell us about that. Are are those okay? Oh yeah. No, 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 no. The only emphasis tool that's really kosher is italics. And uh, sometimes authors will want to use bold, but it's very irritating to see a statement in bold or in caps um, in a manuscript, in a book. It's just jarring. And exclamation points, if they're overused, it's like you're shouting at people. And um, that's very annoying. So we use a nice little discreet italic, and that seems to do the trick. Okay, but sometimes it's like um, arm wrestling to get authors to be willing to let go of all of the uh, different um, ways that they like to emphasize the words. Exactly, because they don't see that they have a pattern of writing in a certain way with lots of ellipses, and they usually do it wrong where the spacing isn't right in the ellipses. So um, they need it needs to be pointed out to them. It's kind of a coaching thing that you can coach people and say, well, this isn't really the best way of doing this. So now for those, there might be someone listening who doesn't know what an ellipses is. So why <laughs> why do you tell us what that is? Three little dots that that say trailing thought or a gap in a verse, in a scripture verse, you'll see an ellipsis. And and um, editors follow guide, strict guidelines, and um, we get them from uh, the Chicago Manual of Style. I, I use that one, and the the Christian uh, Christian Writers Manual of Style. And there's rules for all these things. So these are things that an editor can know. And and when someone picks up a, a book that has been done correctly, they'll think, oh, this this person knows what he's talking about. There you go. Okay, so we just got the one-minute notification. So tell me in the next minute, what's your number one tip for an author who want, really wants to make the most of their coaching or editing experience? Well, I'd say to take care of the big issues before the editor sees it, as in the end notes and the footnotes and, and scripture verse, versions. Get... Make notes on every scripture that that you include in there, what version you are using, and then you're not going to be in trouble and have to go back afterwards. So that saves a whole bunch of time if you document all that up front. Exactly. Awesome. Well, it has been so good to have you on the show today, Inger. Thank you so much for being with me. (laughs) Thank you. It's always fun. Yes, it is. All right. You have a great rest of your day. Okay, thanks, Athena. Bye. Uh Uh-huh.
So we'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with you with author and editor Julie Carabini covering editing tips for children's books. So don't go away. This is Athena Dean Holtz, and you're listening to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry on the Voice America Network, and we'll be right back. Ever thought about writing a book to tell your story, inspire others, or fulfill a calling in your life? Putting your words on paper is a frightening yet thrilling process that can result in untold lives being touched. The professionals at Redemption Press will walk with you through the process of creating a product you will be proud of. My book was extremely personal, very close to my heart, my baby. From the first call I made to Redemption, Athena and her staff tended to this child like it was their own. My manuscript was very involved, including not only text, but also photographs of my artwork. My project manager was so patient and helpful. She was in it for the long haul. Whether it was through phone calls or emails, every staff member at Redemption involved in the publishing process made me feel like I was a person and that my book was their priority. Give Redemption Press a call today at 844-2-REDEEM. Like them on Facebook or go to AuthorsInCharge.com for more information. Well, welcome back to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry, broadcasting on the Voice America Network. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we are continuing on with our show on the power of words. We've been having a great conversation with Jeanette Wendell, who focused on fiction, then my personal editor, Inger Lodgelin, who focused on nonfiction, now Julie Carabini, representing the children's book genre of editing. Julie is an award-winning author of the Chocolate Series, as well as the Otter Bay novels, Sweetwaters, A Shore Thing, and Fade to Blue. She's won various writing awards from different organizations and um, is calling us from California, where I'm sure it's wonderfully sunny today. So, Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Athena. Thank you for having me. You betcha. Well, let's describe, if you can for us, the different types of editing that might need to be done with a children's book? Well, when you, when you talk about the different types, you know, they're, they're sort of universal um, with things you may have heard already, but uh, specifically developmental ed- uh, edit, sometimes it's called substantive, is something that, uh, you know, maybe someone has a story, but they really don't, they have a story in their heart, they have a story they want to get on paper, but they don't exactly know how to do that, how to create the beginning, middle, and the end. And so sometimes a developmental editor will come on and, and kind of do almost like a ghostwrite um, situation. But a lot of times the, the first step is if someone already has a book written and it's ready to go, or they think it's ready to go, we'll do a macro edit, which is just a big picture view, and that's to make sure that you have the bit, you know, the uh, beginning, the middle, and the end, to make sure that the power of the story is conveying your point rather than, um, you know, maybe an, a, a sermon. You don't want to just – sometimes we have uh, a message we want to get across, and we want to make sure that the story is doing that. Um, and 
And then after that, you know, there'll be a copy edit. When I worked as a production editor for Regal Books, my copy editors did really uh, deep edits that were more of a line edit, which is a line by line, making sure that the construction of the sentence isn't awkward. Um, you know, a lot of times a copy editor or a line editor will, uh, and I'm using those interchangeably. I, I realize that some publishers don't do that, um, but more and more I'm seeing that that's um, being used together. You know, it's, uh, those mm-hmm. line editors are really doing copy edits as well, making sure that there's uh, the punctuation is correct as well as the construction of the sentence. And then finally, a proof, something that's very important at the very end, because sometimes when you're doing those deep edits, you miss you know, you missed the period. <laughs> yep. And proofreads are, they're that last second set of eyes that right. uh, hopefully we'll see those things will just jump out at them where when people have been over and over and over the words, it's easy to miss it. It is because you're too close to it at that point. You know? Yeah. That's so important. So at what point, if you're do, working on a children's book, um, where in that uh those different editing um, levels, would you note uh, maybe the vocabularies really not appropriate for the age that it's targeted for and you might work through those things? You know, if you could uh, do it at the macro level, a lot of times uh, the macro level, you will just give that information to the author and let them come back. Let them maybe do a little bit of more market research. Maybe uh, they would go and, and read to children or have a teacher look at it for that particular age group that you're marketing to. And at that point, then the author really can rework it. And um, then it can go back to, to a copy edit. And if there's still an issue, then, you know, um, either the, the copy editor can make some suggestions, some actual you know, uh, rewrite the sentence in a way and, and propose that to the author. So there's kind of um, at that macro level is when you're you're kind of just looking at it and you're giving instructions to the uh, to the author of, of what they'd like to see when the book comes back. Does that make oh. sense? Uh huh. Uh huh. So now for you, because you you are a novelist and um, you've been involved in lots of different aspects of the publishing process. How is working on a children's picture book different? You know, what I, found, what I found is that writing a novel uh, really helps um, in some ways, in a particular way. I had a, I had a writer who um, was having a little trouble uh, explaining to the illustrator what they wanted to see exactly, you know. And so when we looked at it, um, when, you, when you write a novel, when you write a story, you want to show versus tell. And, and people have heard this probably for years, but... You know, what it means is instead of just telling the reader that the, you know, that the person is happy, show them. So write it in a way that the reader feels happy, the real reader understands by the body language or by the words they're saying that they're, they're happy or they're sad or whatever. So the same thing um, when, when an author is perhaps using an illustrator uh, to um, illustrate their, their picture book, Instead of telling the you know illustrator, oh you know please make that little girl ha- look happy, you have a picture in your head. In fact, I laugh because I can only draw stick figures. That's about it, honestly. But mm-hmm. I do have pictures in my head of how I want the little girl to look. I could never draw it myself, you know that kind of thing. So what I suggested was show the illustrator what you want. Say 
you know, I, I gave her suggestions. I said, have her smiling, have her eyes wide, which could be in fear, but with a smile, you know, that can convey. Right. Or, you know, uh, her hands waving up in the air or whatever. I said, give some very specific examples of what you mean when you say sad, you know, happy, whatever. So I think uh, being a novelist helped me with that, helped me to understand that show versus tell, and, and, um, and then, you know, she went on and did that. Um, so that's, you know, that's a that's an important thing. One thing that was very different for me was looking at layouts. You know, uh, mm-hmm. as a novelist, you know, you're writing, you're putting words on a page, and and um, you have layout in a certain way. But sh- certainly with picture books, there's the the full spread page or the single page, and and you want to make sure that the words are in the correct place. So that's that was kind of a a fun, different aspect yeah. of it for me. Yeah. Well, now, in case you've just joined us, you're listening to Publishing Today, Clear Direction for a Changing Industry. I'm your host, Athena Dean Holtz, and we're broadcasting on the Voice America Network, the world leader in online media broadcasting, and the largest producer and distributor of live internet-based talk radio. We're talking today about the power of words with three professional editors, and right now we're talking to Julie Carabini. So, Julie, um, what are the most common weaknesses you see with children's writers? You know, uh, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but perhaps not knowing the exact audience. Um, I know that with, um, you know, there's there's different age groups you're going to want to target with your book, and you need to know exactly what that age group is, whether they are a young reader or whether they're a preschooler or whether they're, a, you know, a child who will be sitting on your lap uh, not having any idea about reading yet, but, um, you know, able to uh, just look at the pictures and, and understand what's going on. So um, I was talking to novelist um, Colleen Coble, who writes mm-hmm. mostly for women, and she told me about her experiences um, writing for children and how much um, tougher it was than she thought it would be. You know, she said to me, you know, you have to get across the meaning in so few words and you have to speak to the children in like a special way, you know, so they want to read that story again and again. And um, so uh, I've, I would, some of my, you know, suggestions then would be to, like I mentioned earlier, talk to a teacher or perhaps read to a teacher's class. Or if you're a Sunday school teacher, you can read to the Sunday school children and even have a third party watching the kids and seeing, you know, who's losing interest and who laughed at the right places or, you know, those kinds of things. So I think when those things are done, it, it, it really enhances the writing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I would think also trying to work with the author to help them develop some questions for the parents to keep that mm-hmm. interaction going even after sure. the book's been read. Yes. That's a, that's a wonderful idea. It really keeps that story in the child's head and gets them thinking, you know, thinking longer about this and wanting to go back to the book and, and learn some more and, and have some more fun with the book. Exactly. So, Julie, what are the elements that you work on with a children's book author? I think you've kind of answered, really, most of, the, most of that question, but is there anything that we haven't discussed yet that's part of the process for, for children's books? You know, uh, we have pretty much talked about those different aspects. I've, you know, I've done everything from, you know, helping them at the beginning or doing a little bit of a developmental work, even laying the book out right to see if it, if, if things flow. And ultimately, you know, the book belongs to that author and, 
I understand that because I've been on the author side so much. I understand that, and I know that there, a lot of times I will give suggestions, and I'll explain them to the best of my ability, and sometimes they don't want to take those suggestions, you know, and that's okay. That's their, their book. I mean, obviously there are things, you know, punctuation-wise that might be different, but I'm talking about story-wise, you know, here. Right. And uh, so, you know, I've kind of done, done the gamut and um, stayed on good terms with all of the, author, all of the authors, so I think that's a, that's a plus. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you find yourself having to uh, work on the um, the rhyming and the meter and all that? Is that something that you often have to address, or uh, is that so far? Have you seen most everything come through pretty clean as far as that goes? Yeah, mostly uh, things have come through pretty clean. Um, there are some times when we can make the slightest adjustment just to make the um, the rhythm a little bit better. And reading out loud. Is really mm-hmm. helpful with that. You yeah, know, to just let the ear hear uh, what because sometimes you 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 hear it in your head one way and then you read it and you realize, ooh, I'm tripping over that word. If I'm tripping over that word, a child is going to trip over that word. You exactly. know, or their parent or you know that kind of thing. Exactly. Okay, so uh, what would you say would be your number one tip for an author who? wants to write for children or is working on a, a manuscript for a children's book, um, what would you say would be your tip for them to make the most out of the editing experience that they have with you or any other editor they might work with? You know, I think having passionate, uh, being passionate about a project enough to want to get it right is really important, and I know that just sounds like, oh, just be passionate, but, you know, I'll give you an example. I recently wrote some uh, cover copy for um, an author, and I wrote the copy in the specification. You know, there are certain specifications for metadata that you need, but I was waiting because she, I didn't have her full bio, and I, uh, she was traveling, and I couldn't get that information, and I wanted to make sure that I had you know, I, I thought to myself, you know, I don't know. She might be a puppeteer or something like that. And I know it sounds funny to say that, but you know what? She came back to me and told me, oh, yes, I've been a puppeteer for four years, and I own all these puppets. And I thought, that is why you're working so hard on this book. That is why this book is coming across the way it is. And I needed to know that information because I thought a reader might want to know that. But this, this woman is a puppeteer, and she's now, you know, turning to publishing a book for children. So she's got it in her heart and her, and her passion to do this. And I think um, that passion should also, you know, help you, like I said, to want it to be the best, which means then sometimes you just need to do that research. You need to listen to your editor. You need to listen to your beta readers to make sure that what you have in your heart to get across is coming away across the way you want it to. Exactly. That passion is so important. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I I know you and I have been on faculty together at Mount Hermon Christian Writers Conferences, Mm -hmm. and they will have a panel and the question is always, well, what should I write? And, you know, rather than what might be the next hot topic, how about what God's given you a passion to write about? And that's, that's just so important to have that uh, real love for the message. Right. And it, you know, if, if you don't, well, that'll show. <laughs> so. It will. It will. Well, Julie, thank you so much for taking time to share with us today. Where, where can our listeners find you online? 
I I can be found with uh, at www.juliecarabini.com. <laughs> it's very simple. Just my name. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Uh-huh. All right. So we're going to wrap up this Publishing Today show with our Ask Athena segment where I answer the questions you've been asking about. If you have a question you'd like me to address on air, send it to me by email at question, the word question, at askathena.com. One of the questions I had on Facebook was, I want to have my child illustrate my picture book. What's your opinion of this idea? Well, unfortunately, I don't think that's a great idea only because if you have a message that you really want to go beyond your uh, family and close friends, it needs to look professional and it really needs to look, it needs to not look like it's self-published. And I think somehow uh, just using, now unless your child is, um, I guess I'm just thinking crayons, you know, young children doing uh, the illustrations. Maybe that's not what she meant. But um, I think it's important to have a professional illustrator that can really give a look that is professional and um, compelling. And, you know, if you're going to self-publish, the last thing you want to do is look like you're self-published. And so I guess that that's kind of my mantra. And I think that also uh, follows through on children's picture books. I think it's very important to have it done well and done professionally. So it is time to wrap up this episode of Publishing Today. It's been great to have such gifted guests share their time and wisdom with us. Be sure to join us next week when our topic is the power of the spoken word. Sell more books by developing and expanding your speaking platform. My guests will be Julie and Greg Gorman. They're authors, speakers, coaches, and mentors, and they are the founders of Gorman Leadership, and creators of Get Authorized, an incredibly rich resource for writers and speakers. I just, this last weekend, did a whole um, uh, back-to-back three different groups of aspiring authors, teaching them how to build a speaking platform and some of the things that you have to think about. There's so much that goes into preparing a compelling speech and really building that platform. So we want to equip you to do that next week. So this is Athena Dean Holtz for Publishing Today Radio, brought to you by Redemption Press. Have a great week until we're back with you again next Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Network. Thank you for tuning in to Publishing Today Radio. Be sure to join your host, Athena Dean Holtz, again next Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 